Subscribe with iTunes, Audio Boom, Stitcher, or your favorite podcasting app. And if you enjoy what you hear, like us on Facebook. Also, consider throwing a little cash our way by visiting patreon.com slash koreafm. And find more of our great content on our home on the web, koreafm.net. Two articles from the Washington Post have connected past defections to and from North Korea to their present-day consequences. And I spoke with the author behind those reports to learn how the decades-old defection of an American GI to North Korea and the defection of Kim Dynasty family members to the U.S. is still being felt today. My name is Anna Fifield, and I'm the Tokyo Bureau Chief for the Washington Post. Joe Dresnov was an American GI who was serving in South Korea in the early 60s. Uh, he'd um, separated, his first wife had left him, he was in trouble with his boss, and one night he got up and he walked across into North Korea. He defected to North Korea, and he's been there ever since, 54 years. Um, and so during this time, he has periodically appeared on um, North Korean TV and North Korean movies, playing the evil American imperialist. Uh, he was married to a Romanian woman. Um, we believe that she was abducted by the North Koreans and, and they were married to each other, probably arranged, almost definitely arranged. And so these are their two sons, Ted and James, who are 36 and 32, I believe. So these two men were interviewed at quite some length by Min Jok Tongshin, which is a pro-North Korean news website actually based in the U.S. It's run by a naturalized American citizen born in South Korea who was very sympathetic to the North Korean regime. And we knew that the sons existed because they had also appeared in North Korean dramas, like playing roles and things. So there had been shots of them before acting. And so they have lived their entire lives in North Korea and they have North Korean names. They sound exactly like North Koreans. But it was the first time we heard them talking about their lives, you know, their wives, their children, their jobs. And there wasn't a huge amount of detail, but we did get a real glimpse into their lives there. And, um, and we could hear them talking in North Korean accents, which seemed so, so strange. They were asked a lot about the U.S. I mean, obviously, because their father is American and, you know, has been this, the American who's lived the longest inside North Korea. And they said that, you know, they should be uh, dropped their hostile policy towards North Korea, the same kind of thing we hear all the time. Um, to what ends? We don't know, like, what they're trying to achieve. But, um, it were, yeah, it was certainly very interesting that they had chosen this time now to wheel these two men out. Despite perfect North Korean accents, Growing up in the DPRK as Caucasian, non-ethnic Koreans was a topic so obvious, even a propaganda video could not ignore. They were actually asked this question about whether they suffered discrimination. And they both did say that it's, at uh, like elementary school they had some discrimination. But now, I mean, we can't know whether this is true or not or whether they're saying it because they have to say it. Uh, but they said there is no discrimination now that they are treated like well and everything. So, um, they, I mean, clearly they stand out a lot. They're not your average citizen in North Korea. And one of the brothers talked the, talked about his wife and he said her name was Ri Ok. Uh, which sounds like a Korean name, but we don't know that she is ethnically Korean. Like she may well, like he has a name, Hong Sun Chol. Um, so she may well be a you know foreigner 
like like he is. Uh, we we don't know, but usually these um, like abductees or people who are born there, like the children of other defectors, they're all married off to other foreigners and not to ethnic Koreans. So um, yeah, so we we don't know anything more than that, but we can imagine they live in some kind of uh, separate, separate, a little bit separate from the mainstream. Um, the younger one is serving in the North Korean military, and he was wearing a North Korean military uniform with a red kimpin over his heart. Um, and then the older son said that he was involved in some kind of um, academic work, but also to do with defense, but he didn't go into any detail. He was wearing a suit, but also had the kimpin over his heart. Washington Post Tokyo Bureau Chief Anna Fifield also recently wrote about the results of another defection. But rather than an American fleeing to North Korea, the story focused on the little-known aunt of Kim Jong-un and her family, who have been living in the U.S. for nearly 20 years. I met her in New York City, but that doesn't mean she lives in New York. Uh, she lives uh, like some distance away, but we chose to meet there. So she is, um, her and her husband were looking after Kim Jong-un in Switzerland while he was at school there. And then in 1998, they decided to defect to the U.S. And they've been living in the U.S. pretty much anonymously ever since. Uh, they run a dry cleaners store in a city um in in america and live a really normal life they have three children and they you know you wouldn't be able to tell them from any other korean dry cleaner in the u.s they'd been able to be anonymous because very few people knew that they had come to america and because they lived this completely normal unassuming life there under different names you know nobody nobody would know they don't talk about their their past obviously um, but they decided to break their silence because well, it started last year when they began suing some defectors in South Korea for defamation. Uh, these defectors had been saying on TV that the couple had stolen money from the Kim regime or had told the CIA where the Kim's money was, the uh, slush funds were being kept. So they sued them for defamation, and that is how I got in touch with them through their lawyer in South Korea. Um, and so it's... Mr. Ree, the uncle in particular, is uh, driving this because he wants to return to North Korea, not to live, just to visit. But he um, he says he wants to act as a kind of bridge between North Korea and the U.S. And, um, you know, he can play that role. I think it's um, very unlikely that he will be able to go back. But but still, that is his motivation. And that's why he agreed to talk to me now. And while public knowledge of their lives in the U.S. is very limited, more is known about their connection to the Kim family and why they chose to defect in 1992. They were in Switzerland and they went to the American embassy in Bern and uh, said that they were North Korean diplomats and were seeking asylum. So from there, they were taken to a U.S. military base in Germany and uh, the, a Korean speaker arrived and they were questioned there for about two months. Um, and there the they revealed their family connection. Um, but at that stage, you know, the Americans had no idea that Kim Jong-un was going to be the next leader of North Korea. Uh, and, the, and that had been announced, the couple said, um, within North Korea. So they were able to tell them that. And, and from then, you know, I guess that they were verified by the CIA and they were allowed to come to the U.S., um, where they've lived ever since. So they say that the main reason for their defection was because 
the aunt's uh, sister, Ko Yong Hee, who is Kim Jong-un's mother, uh, she had breast cancer and it was terminal and treatment in Europe had not worked. So they said they wanted to come to America uh, to try and find, you know, better medical care for her. Um, that didn't happen. The, the sister, well, Kim Jong-un's mother, died in Paris uh, six years later. But um, we, we don't know whether that is the whole reason for their defection. They may have had reason to fear for their safety, um, given the fact that they were, uh, or not even fear for their safety, but fear for their position, because um, they're only linked to the regi- regime, Kim Jong-un's mother was dying. So um, maybe they saw, you know, limited options for them in the future. They said that they had no special information, that they were not part of any nuclear program or missile program or anything like that. Their job was just to look after the kids. So they had like family information, um, but, that, but that was it. And even then, you know, now it's so dated. They haven't seen Kim Jong-un for almost 20 years. So they knew him as a child, not as the leader that he is now. Um, but still, you know, in, intelligence on North Korea is so slim, that was so thin that, you know, any information is useful. So a couple of the things that they told me that I found interesting was that um, they said Kim Jong-un was born in 1984, which would make him 32 now. And we've never really known exactly what year he was born. It was like 82, 83, 84. But they said it's definitely 84. And they know because their own son was born the same year and she says she remembers that very well. They also said that when he turned eight years old, Kim Jong-un was anointed as his father's successor. That There was a big birthday party in Pyongyang where uh, he was announced as the successor. He was presented with a military uniform with stars to mark general on them. And that from that point on, like real generals began bowing to him and paying their respects to him. So it's hard to think how a kid who knew that or had been treated like that could ever live a normal life. I'm Chance Dorland for KoreaFM.net. This episode is brought to you by Podcast Assist, offering voiceovers, audio editing and mastering, transcriptions and show notes, episode summaries, and even hosting a podcast on a topic important to you. Visit Facebook.com slash Podcast Assist for more info on their flat $30 per hour rate. Talk radio, music, and podcasts from the Korean Peninsula. KoreaFM.net.